Good afternoon. It's such a pleasure to be with each of you this afternoon. And as we have gathered back together to continue in singing praises to our one true God and into for offering up prayers to Him, to petitioning Him on what is going on in our lives and on just generally drawing closer to Him and to one another, I want to say welcome. Welcome, and it's, it's just such a beautiful time to be together to do just that. I, I just hope you know how encouraging it is when we gather together, how encouraging it is to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you. This morning, I want to, or excuse me, this afternoon, I want to look at a, a character that we should all be pretty familiar with. And I, don't, I don't think anyone's going to scratch their head a whole awful much this afternoon as we study a little bit from the life of David. As we study a little bit and look at David's life, but before we begin, I'd like to ask you some questions. What's the first thing you do when you, run, when you find yourself in trouble? When you find yourself in trouble, what is one of the first things you do? Do you run to the experts or consult a trusted friend? Do you curl up in a ball on the floor and cry? Do you pretend like nothing is wrong, just kind of ignore the problem? Maybe it'll go away on its own. I'll go just share with you a, uh, a little personal story about myself. I fall somewhere in between running to experts and trusted friends and curling up in a ball on the floor and crying. So about a week and a half ago, I got a bruise on my leg. I didn't know where the bruise came from. I had no idea. And it progressively got worse and worse, but I really wasn't too concerned about it until Friday when my mother came and said, that is a blood clot. That got my attention. For the next couple of nights, that had my attention. And I didn't sleep, and I was sick to my stomach, and I was really, really worried about this. And I went to a lot of friends and was like, does this look like a blood clot? What do I do for a blood clot? How do you fix that? I... I almost came to the point of tears. It was a scary time in my life these last couple of, those last couple of days when I was dealing with that. That is something that I had done in my life. Was that the right way to handle that situation? Everybody has problems from time to time. But not everyone tries to solve their problems in the same way. And so this afternoon we're going to look at it for a little bit and say, what is the best way to solve our problems? And what is the best way to view our problems? There is one person that we read about in the Bible who had his fair share of problems, and that is, of course, King David. If you'd like to turn back to the book of 1 Samuel, we'll be reading from, these, from the, uh, this book in just a little bit. But when we think of some of the examples that David had in his life of troubles, we think of a time when he was possibly pursued by King Saul. Saul was out to get him. He was out to kill him. And we see that he barely escaped several assassination attempts on his life. He had to spend a lot of time hiding in the wilderness and hiding in the caves and, and just not really knowing what's going to happen from day to day. His entire family was kidnapped on one occasion. All of his friends turned against him. They were ready to kill him. He suffered the shame of having committed adultery and, and of having committed murder. His son, Amnon, raped his daughter Tamar, and then his other son Absalom killed Amnon, and then Absalom led a revolt against his father, against David, and then Absalom himself was killed. David's life was full of trouble. In fact, David almost just exemplifies Job 14 in verse 1. 
Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. David's life certainly could be described as a life full of turmoil. Yet somehow he survived all of these problems. And he came to be known as we know him today as the man after God's own heart. How was he able to do this? I believe that we can find the answer when we consider what David did when he faced one of the more serious problems in his life as recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. And as I said this morning, both of these sermons for this morning and this afternoon have been geared towards this idea of the dependence of God, and I really want to appreciate the songs that we've sang this morning because they really have that same sort of mindset, gearing us towards God and trusting in Him and letting Him be our anchor and and desiring Him as the deer pants for the water. So so we have focused on this all morning. Let's focus on that now as we read these passages. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is going to be what we look about, uh, what I want to look at this afternoon. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now maybe a little bit of context will help us in understanding this passage just a little bit more. One of the first things we want to look at is, is where David was at in, in this time of his life. We see that he uh, read that he was living in Siklag. And uh, just so you know, there is such a place, the goofy name as Siklag. And, I can, and where it's at is found here on the map. I'm going to put a circle around it. Can, everybody can see that's kind of low on the screen. But right here, right here, this is the area in, in where David is living at right now. He's got his family there. His, his, all of his men that are, that are behind him, that support him, live there with their families. And what happened was the Philistines, the Philistines were going into a battle with Saul. Now, they were going to be fighting Saul up here at a city called Aphek, up here. So this is roughly 50 miles, Ziklag to Aphek. And on the way there, some of the Philistine commanders find out David and his men are with them, and they say, whoa, no, no, we don't want this guy with us. Don't you remember what they used to say about David? Saul had killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? Those ten thousands were our people. No, that's okay. You all, you all go back to Ziklag. We don't want you with us. Because they were afraid that David would switch sides. All of a sudden he'll be on Saul's side, and, and now they're going to be overpowered. So they send him back to Ziklag. And as I said, it's roughly about 50 miles to, uh, to Aphek uh, to Ziklag. If you want to think about that in our day and time, it's roughly about 50 miles if you drive from here in Nicholasville through Lexington, through Paris, and into Carlisle. That's roughly about 50 miles. That's about an hour and a half drive, give or take a little bit, 
They traveled that distance without cars, without the highways, from Aphek to Ziklag. And then what do they find when they get back to Ziklag? They found that the town has been attacked by the Amalekites. The Amalekites have moved into the Negev, that area where Ziklag was at down here, and that all that area to the south. They've moved in, they've conquered that, and they've burned the city which they live. And not only had they burned it, but all the women and the children have been kidnapped and taken. And so you can imagine the pain that all these men have after making this journey, which I'm sure they were, they were pretty strong men. To, to walk that journey wasn't the hardest thing in the world for them to do, but still after walking, or maybe they, some of them rode chariots or horses, but at the point they get back, they're probably ready to have some rest and relaxation. Maybe they want a little bit of leave time. They, they've gotten ready to go to battle, now they're coming home, and just to find out that their whole life has been turned upside down. Their house is burned, their family's gone, and they're all so sad, but all of them turn their attention to David. They want to kill David, the man that has led them away from their families, left their families unguarded. And that's when we read this about David. It says what David did in this time when he is suffering the loss of his family and when he's suffering that his own life is threatened, we read that David strengthened himself in the Lord. This is what David did first in times of trouble. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God and with the strength that he received... He was unable to deal with whatever the problem was that was facing him. So maybe we want to ask this question, what does it mean? What does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? To answer that question, I think it would be very helpful for us to look in the book of Psalms. So maybe if you want to just kind of put a ribbon here in 1 Samuel and we're going to flip over to the book of Psalms, we're going to see how David strengthened himself in the Lord. And so one of the first places we want to look at, because David did this oftentimes when he was in trouble, he composed psalms. And one of the first psalms that we want to look at is Psalms 59. Psalms 59 and verses 1 through 4. This is a psalm that David wrote while he was being pursued by Saul. He says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine, they run and they set themselves against me. Arouse yourself to help me and see. Another example of a psalm we can see that David wrote was in Psalm 56. When when, uh, David was imprisoned in Gath, here in this, uh, in this passage, we'll just read the first, uh, the first two verses of Psalm 56. He says, Be gracious to me, O, my, o God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. So yet again, uh, one of the Psalms that he wrote. If we want to flip over to Psalms chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, we can see here a Psalm that David wrote whenever he was fleeing from Absalom. Psalm chapter 3, again, we'll just read the first two verses. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. So again, we see David just, he, he, whenever he is facing these troubles, we see him just continually turning and, and writing all these psalms that we have, several of these psalms that we have recorded for us, 
Another one being Psalm 63. He wrote this one, he's hiding in the wilderness of Judah. <clears throat> and this one he re we read, O God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary, to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword, for they will be prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God, for everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. And so if we, want, if we would just spend some time examining this, these psalms, one thing that we would find is that we would learn a little bit about how David strengthened him, himself. For example, in this, we would look maybe at, back at Psalm 56. And we would see in Psalm 56 that David would place his trust in God. To help him. If we noticed, as we read verses 1 through 4, but specifically in verses 3 and 4, it said, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And skipping down to verses 9 through 11, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? We are very, very quick in our lives to trust in man. We do that all the time. In our employers, we trust that they will pay us. Our doctors, we trust that they will heal us. Our friends, we trust that they will cheer us. And I'm not saying that that any of those things are, are wrong to be paid by an employer, to be healed by a doctor, to be cheered by friends. But what if all of that was gone? What if all of that was gone? Would we be lost? Would we just be com just completely wasted? Or do we trust in something more than these? Do we trust in God more than these? Or what about Psalm 59? As we read just a second ago, we learn here that David was determined to, to, to continue praising God for his help. In verses 16 and 17 of this chapter, it says, But as for me, I shall sing of your strength, and I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. Do I do that? Do I continually praise God? Maybe that's a question we should all ask ourselves. David, David would have certainly done so, and he certainly did do so. He reminded himself when he did this that God, God has gotten him through tough times before in his past. And he's also been showing that he is thankful to God for what he has done to him so far. Do you ever, you ever have maybe a rough day? Something's just going on, maybe it's at work or it's at home, and you just really feel stressed out. Do you ever find yourself maybe having a favorite hymn coming to your mind that, that brings you peace? I really feel like this is a lot similar to what David was doing, to having ourselves, when we need help, when we need God, 
Yes, we pray to Him, but do we praise Him? Do we take time to maybe sing that little song, hum that, that, that tune, and, and remind ourselves of the words that praise God for how great He is and for what He has done in our lives thus far? Consider for a moment, maybe it's your significant other, uh, your significant other, your wife or your husband, and, and if all you ever did was take to them your worries, worry after worry after worry, this is what's going on, I don't know what I'm going to do, and this is, this is happening, and this is happening. At some point, do you think they would stop and ask, don't you trust me a little bit? I mean, we are a part of the same family. Don't you think I know some of these things that are going on? Now, I don't want to suggest that God doesn't want to hear about our worries. God certainly can carry us through every situation, and He wants us to ask for help. But do we forget to praise Him for the help that He has given us in the past? David certainly didn't. And also, we could look back at Psalm 63, which we just read. While he was in the wilderness of Judea, and, uh, and excuse me, I'm going to get you caught up on the slide, I apologize. Uh, Psalm 63, we see three things that David really does well in these passages. In Psalm 63, we see David overcame his problems of loneliness while out in the wilderness. By in verses 1 and 2, it says he, see, he sought the Lord. He says, O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. We hear just how badly he was seeking after God, how badly he wanted God. And then verses 3 and 5, we see him again praising and praying to him. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with morrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. We just see yet again how much David loved God. That, that phrase that strikes me so much says, my, my soul is satisfied as with morrow and fatness. Morrow and fatness is like the, the, the last bits of food that people eat. When, if, if they are, I, think, I always think of a big slice of country ham. And that morrow in the center of the bone, it's like I have eaten everything and the morrow. I have gotten everything all of it. And he's saying, my soul can't be more satisfied, God, than it is with you. This shows how much he loved God and how much he praised God. And in verses 6 through 7, we see that he was meditating upon God. He said, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. So let's stop and for just a moment. Let this psalmist paint a picture for us of a soul who is truly a friend to God. He's saying, God, I look for you. And I'm not satisfied with anything less in this life. Nothing, in fact, can satisfy my soul like you. To be near you is better than life itself. And it is then that I am full. My life has meaning. It has completeness. It is fullness of life when I am near you. In each of these psalms, David is basically saying the same thing. He's saying in times of trouble, put your trust in the Lord. Stay close to Him through praising Him and prayer and do this and you will be made strong as the Lord supports you. As verse 8 said, my soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. 
So in considering these things, this was how David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is how he was able to face and therefore overcome his problems by the help that the Lord gave him. So what about us today? In times of trouble, do we follow David's example? Do we consider a few thoughts along the same line as we deal with our problems today? First thing I would, and, and I think we all know, is that we have several problems, uh, many problems uh, facing us as Christians. Some are related to family, or, and others are related to matters of maybe personal concern. Maybe it's watching our loved ones as they draw closer to life's inevitable end. Or possibly it's something that we were going through ourselves, an illness or something that, that is affecting us. Or maybe it's something completely different from that. Maybe it's something that relates to our jobs or the issues of financial security. Maybe we come in one day and our boss says, you got two weeks. you got two weeks. We've been forced to cut back. We've we got to downsize the company, and your position is being cut. you got two weeks to find another job, and after that, you're on the streets. I don't know about you, but for most of us, most people in the real world, they're going to say, that's a real problem. That's not something maybe I was prepared for. And in many cases, people try to tackle these problems on their own. They leave God completely out of the picture. And ask questions like, what am I going to do? Do we trust in God? Do we trust that He is capable to get us through even the darkest of nights? Sometimes we completely forsake Him entirely. We no longer praise Him. We no longer pray to Him daily. Our worries get so thick that they just clog our abilities to even go to Him who can solve our problems. Maybe it's we neglect the assembly. That is a time which we gather together to, to, to worship God, to edify one another, and to be closer to Him. What better time than that for us to take our problems before the great Creator of the universe, who is certainly capable of protecting Noah from the worldwide flood. He protected a little shepherd boy from lions and bears and, and, and even a grown battle-hardened giant. He parted the Red Seas. He sent down fire from the heavens, and He raised the, our Lord from the dead. And it is this same God that we gather together, this same God that we worship and we praise, and it's the same God who is in our midst right now. What better place can we possibly be on a Sunday or a Wednesday than a place where, we're, where our spiritual family is, where our spiritual family has come together, where we can share our problems and our collectivity and, and in our collectivity, we can send them up in prayer and praise to God. And we can remember all the amazing things that He has done in our lives. We can remind ourselves of that, and we can praise Him for that. But many say, no. No, I've got this. I, I think I can see the way out. So how does God view such a person as that? As it says on the board, God is angered. He is angered when we try to solve problems on our own. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of sail without, without inhabitants. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is, in the, is, is, is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. 
And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. A good example of God's displeasure when, when people fail to look to Him for strength can be found over in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah in chapter 30, Isaiah chapter 30, we would consider Israel in a time when they were facing some problems. And they did not do what David did. They did not look to the Lord their God for strength. But instead, they looked elsewhere. In, verse, in Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 1, we read, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. <clears throat> this was, this was a, talking about a time when Assyria was pressing in on Israel. And, and they were afraid because this great and mighty nation's coming. And, and they've, they've been warned that, that a day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And so what do they do? They say, let's turn to Egypt. Let's turn to Egypt. They're a strong nation. Let's go to them and get, and get help from them. But because of this, God promises to frustrate the efforts of Israel to solve her problems by herself. Look in verse 3. It says, Therefore the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. And if we look over one chapter to chapter 31, read the first three verses here. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, and rely on horses, and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and does not retract his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of the workers of iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out his hand and he will help, and he who helps will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. God did want Israel, and he wanted Israel to be successful. He wanted them to trust in him and not themselves. That was the purpose of all of this. And in verses 15 through 16, we read that, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing. And you said, No, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Even today, it's what God wants. He wants us to put our trust in Him. We want to flip over to the New Testament for a moment. Look in James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, we read about the danger of being double-minded. Double-minded. James chapter 4 and in verse 8. It says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That phrase, double-minded, you could literally change that word out with you doubters. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you doubters. What we read in this passage here is that not putting our trust in God, not putting our trust in, in the Creator of the universe, in our Creator, in our Lord, is the same thing and is a great uh, sign and we could have an impure heart. We could have some real heart issues if that's not where our trust is at. Or over in Second Peter, um, excuse me, First Peter, 
1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. What about that? What about these words that tell us that this Creator of the universe, all the amazing things that He's done, that we've already talked about, about saving Noah, about parting the Red Sea, about being with David, about raising our Lord, He cares for me. He cares for you. The truth of the matter is, though, that most people don't consider that. It's more aptly, uh, probably more accurate to say that they live under the old saying of God helps those who help themselves. You know, this phrase has been quoted as if it were Scripture, but these words are not found anywhere in the Bible. In fact, I would have to say resoundingly no to someone who says that and who believes that. God notoriously does not help those who helps themselves. God helps those who are helpless. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says God helps those who trust in the Lord with all their heart and who lean, on their, and who lean not on their own understanding. It is this, in this is the strength and the power and the might of God revealed. That when we are completely and utterly helpless, He is there waiting to help. He is looking for us to just drop those clutches of our own reliability, drop everything, even drop ourselves into His loving arms. So let us learn from one experienced in dealing with problems. David, in times of trouble, looked to the Lord for strength. He trusted in the Lord and was steadfast in praising Him, steadfast in offering up prayers to Him. He didn't forsake Him, and neither should we. We should not forsake God. We should not forsake the, the uh, gathering together of His children who want to be nearer to Him. So let's let what David said of himself be true of us as well. Psalm 63, verse 8, My soul clings to you, God. Your right hand gives me strength. Your right hand upholds me. Remember that those who trust in God will find strength, will find deliverance, and will find true happiness. So my question this afternoon to you and, and to myself, we should all be, be asking ourselves, do we trust in the Lord? Or do we trust in our own strength? It is the Lord who is capable of delivering us. Are there problems in your life that you seem that you are fighting over and over again? Could it be that you are like the Israelites, that you've been seeking protection in Egypt? You've been seeking protection from your problems or resolution to your problems from somewhere besides God? We have, been a, we have become a society that loves that. We love short and quick fixes. We want to treat the symptom and not the problem. That's why when we, we, we get a, a headache, we're going to start taking some pills to try and get that headache away. Or we get a little sniffle, we're going to start taking cold medicine to get that sniffle away. And I'm not, I'm not up here to condemn those things. But there are underlying problems that go on in our lives, and that is what when we look at our spiritual life, the problems that we face each and every day, they have quick fixes. There are all sorts of quick fixes, but none of them will solve the problem. There are lots of quick fixes for the symptoms that we have in our lives, but there is only one solution, and that is God. Again, we are totally and we are completely lost 
and dying in our sins, yet God stands ready, invites us to simply place our faith in Him and to be obedient to His Word. Is there something this afternoon that we can do to help you in that matter? To help you in, in, in your faith that you have placed in God? Is there something that we can do that might help you to find the solution to your problems? Because that's what we have gathered here to be. We have gathered here to worship our God as a family. That's exactly what families do. We look for ways to help. So this afternoon, I would encourage you, if there's some way we can help you, whether it be coming to the Lord, or more accurately, whether it be fixing a problem in your life that you have just been holding on to so strong, trying to solve on your own, helping you give that problem up to God. We want to help, but we can only do so if you first let us know what the problem is. If there's any way we can help you this afternoon, please come forward now as we stand and sing.